This is Castle Stories, a podcast from Newcastle Castle about the rich history of the North East. Hello and welcome to Castle Stories. I'm your host, David Silk. This week's medieval myth is all about knights and their armour. People often look at suits of armour in museums and they imagine what it must feel like to be completely encased in sheet steel thick enough to stop sword blows. A feeling of invincibility, yes but also the crushing weight. Sure enough, lots of modern media set in the Middle Ages, or something like it, from Laurence Olivier's Henry V all the way through to Game of Thrones, portray the knight as a lumbering colossus, barely able to move. Did the protection afforded by a suit of armour really come at the expense of your ability to move? I think there's a lot of different layers to this myth, actually. Essentially, what it boils down to is carrying something really heavy while trying to fight or do anything physical, is going to put you at a bit of a disadvantage. On that level, it's hard to argue with. Obviously, doing things while carrying a lot of weight is more difficult than doing it while not carrying any weight. But what effect did armour have on a knight's ability to move and fight? And how weighed down were they? And was the protection armour gave you worth it? Really famously, there's a scene in Laurence Olivier's 1945 adaptation of Shakespeare's play Henry V, which is brilliant, by the way, and I really recommend you see it if you haven't. On the whole, the armour in that film is exceptional. It's better than most modern films in the way it portrays medieval armour. But there is a scene when the French knights are mounting up to charge against the plucky English army, and they're so weighed down by their complete suits of plate armour. A suit of armour is a myth as well. It's called a harness, um, a complete uh, plate armour harness. They're so weighed down by their armour, though, that they have to be winched onto their horses with primitive cranes by their squires and assistants. Now, working in a castle, I still hear people repeating that myth as fact, so it has actually had a really deep influence on future representations of armour in media. Unfortunately, it is, to put it mildly, total rubbish. The myth actually originates in the book A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court by Mark Twain. Despite coming from a comedy writer, this seems to have passed into the realm of serious fact, possibly thanks, in fact, to Sir Laurence Olivier, who put it in Henry V, and he insisted on including this scene in the film, despite howls of protest from his historical adviser, Sir James Mann. He was the master of the armoury in the Tower of London at the time. And as I say, on the whole, that film gets a lot right with its armour, so the fact that it gets this very wrong means that that's passed into popular legend. In fact, knights needed no special preparation to get onto their horses. On a trawl through medieval manuscripts, I managed to find a huge number of illustrations of knights mounting their horses, and they pretty much universally show them mounting from the ground by putting one foot in the stirrup and then presumably swinging their leg over the horse, exactly the same way that any modern rider would. I was able to find one picture of a squire assisting the knight with this process, and they are holding down the stirrup on the other side to stop the saddle from slipping, which I've known riders do in the modern day as well. There's not even a little step in sight, never mind a crane to winch you up. Incidentally, the castle keep in Newcastle does have stone steps outside it that a lot of people point to and tell people were for knights mounting their horses, which is half true. These were for mounting horses, but they were originally from outside a pub in the big market. They were there to help people who'd had a skinful get back onto the carts and big draft horses that they'd come on. So nothing to do with knights. In actual fact, knights' horses weren't usually all that big. That's another medieval myth. The idea that a knight's warhorse was a huge beast like a modern Clydesdale or shire horses is really quite a modern idea. In actual fact, knights' horses were around 14 hands high, seems to have been about the average. 
and images from the time show this as well. They show the knight's feet hanging down below the belly of the horse. They were small, compact animals. They were bred for speed and strength and power, not for their ability to pull heavy loads like a cart horse. In fact, a knight wouldn't be seen dead on a cart horse. The closest modern breed to a medieval destrier, I've heard said, is an Andalusian horse, um, which they're normally around 15 hands high. Some knights were even able to leap onto these horses in full armour. This feat was performed as part of his training regime by the legendary French knight Jean Le Maingre. Um, he's usually known in sources as Bukiko, which I think is the, the manor, the castle where he was from. And in fact, his training regime should help to put a few more armour myths to bed. So while wearing his full suit of 15th century armour, sorry, harness of 15th century armour, Bukiko was able to test himself by jumping onto a courser in full armour. At other times, he would run or hike for many miles on foot to train himself not to get out of breath and to endure long effort. At other times, he would strike overhead with an axe or hammer for a long time to be able to hold out well in armour. And so his arms and hands would endure striking for a long time, and he would train himself to nimbly lift his arms. By these means, he trained himself so well that at that time you couldn't find another gentleman in equal condition. He would do a somersault, armed in his armour, and dance, armed in a male shirt. While he was at his lodgings, he would never cease to test himself with the other squires at throwing the lance or other tests of war. He also climbed walls in full armour and trained by climbing up the underside of a ladder using only his arms. Now, I don't want to give the impression that all knights were these sort of medieval supermen. This is mentioned in the sources because Bukiko was exceptional. He was considered even by his enemies to be the finest knight of his time. But it shows what can be done in a full suit of armour, even if most knights probably trained considerably less than Jean Le Maingre. But even an average knight, who might have neglected too much rigorous physical training since childhood in favour of managing his estates, would not have been too unnecessarily weighed down by his armour, because armour was simply not that heavy. Compared to your everyday clothing, armour is pretty weighty, but compared to other kinds of protective equipment, it's not too bad. Most people experience armour by holding it or picking it up, and it does feel quite heavy. But an entire harness of late medieval plate armour weighs on average about 20 to 25 kilos, with maybe a couple of extra kilos for your helmet. That's about 45 to 55 pounds. That's considerably less than the equipment carried by a modern firefighter, and about the same as the combat equipment of a modern infantry soldier. So, in fact, a medieval soldier... A knight was not really carrying any more than their modern-day equivalent. To this is added the advantage that the armour's weight doesn't all hang from your shoulders. Obviously, a British infantryman today has a kind of webbing to help spread some of the weight out. Armour does that naturally. Because of the way the individual pieces are attached to the arming garments beneath, the weight of the armour is spread out across the whole body. So even on foot, knights were perfectly able to run, jump, roll, get back up off the floor, and, of course, fight. After all, there wouldn't be much point wearing armour designed for battle if you couldn't do any battling. Many of these myths possibly come from the jousting armour that survives. These harnesses were designed specifically for the sport of jousting, and because jousting took place entirely on horseback, and doesn't really take all that long, they were often really heavy. These would be extremely cumbersome if you wore them into battle, but obviously they were never designed for that. It's like complaining that an articulated truck is slower than a Formula One car in a race. Yeah, of course it is. It's not meant to be faster. It has another job to do. 
Jousting armor is very inflexible. It only allows the range of movements that would be necessary for the sport of jousting on horseback. A harness for battle, on the other hand, was designed to allow a full range of movement. It was composed of many separate parts, joined by sliding rivets or carefully fitted plates. Where there were gaps, like at the back of the knees, at the elbows or around the neck, flexible steel mail was used to provide protection. The end result was really the masterpiece of the armourer's art, if you could afford it. Tailor-made armour like this was hugely expensive, and most foot soldiers or lesser men-at-arms would have to make do with munition armour, which was sort of off the shelf, although it still came in a variety of sizes. All of this made knights just as capable of fighting on foot as on horseback, and they certainly were not incapable of getting back up again if they fell off their horses. Well, uh, at least no more incapable than you would be if you'd just taken a hard tumble from the back of a fast-moving animal. English knights and men-at-arms from the 1300s onwards even seem to have preferred fighting on foot to being on horseback, having suffered a few humiliating defeats at the hands of Scottish foot soldiers armed with long spears, and their armour was no lighter than the armour worn by French or any other nation's knights. Of course, there's no question that fighting in armour is exhausting. Research has shown it takes about twice as much energy to move in full armour as it does without it. So this would confirm the image from shows like Game of Thrones of the lightly armoured sellsword with real battle experience besting the noble knight in clanky armour. Not exactly. While knights might not be able to fight at full capacity in their armour without catching their breath, at least not for as long as they could do without it, it undoubtedly gave them a massive advantage in battle. In every single major medieval battle, the hard slog of hand-to-hand fighting was carried out by knights and men-at-arms in full harness of armour. In fact, the definition of a man-at-arms, although many people think it just means a common soldier, it was someone, whether they were a knight or not, in full harness. Without specialist weaponry, it's immensely difficult to inflict any serious damage on someone in this type of armour. Certainly, cutting or thrusting at them with a sword is not really going to do very much. The steel doesn't even need to be particularly thick. Medieval armour is actually usually less than two millimetres thick to stop a steel sword. You need a weapon that can either punch through steel or deliver a lot of blunt force trauma to stop a knight in his tracks. Meanwhile, if you're lightly armoured, you're vulnerable to every blow from the razor-sharp weapons that the knight is carrying. There is a reason people wore armour and spent so much money on it. It works, and it works well. And that is really the final myth that I would like to address. In films, we often see arrows or other weapons punching through steel armour as easily as if it were made of paper. Um, A sword thrust going straight through a steel breastplate, for example. This is, very simply put, impossible. Even where archers did kill armoured knights, it was by hitting gaps or weak points in the armour, like the neck or the holes in the visor, rather than punching straight through steel plate. And with swords, you stand pretty much no chance. In the later Middle Ages, swords actually change shape to make them better able to deal with armour. They go from being straight-bladed, slashing weapons, to a more triangular blade shape, which allows for hard thrusts to be delivered to gaps in the armour. A technique called half-swording was used, where you grip the sword in both hands, one hand on the handle, and the other hand actually on the sword blade. This is something you never see in movies, because you would never hear the end of the complaints about how unrealistic it is to grab hold of a sharp sword blade. But it can be done, and it was done, and in fact was one of the standard ways of sword fighting, precisely because swinging a sharp blade against steel is not going to achieve anything. You simply cannot cut through it. 
I hope that we've been able to bust a few armor myths for you there. If you've got any other questions about medieval armor, do feel free to pop us an email at info at newcastlecastle.co.uk and ask them, or let us know if you've enjoyed that episode. But we hope to come back to some more myths about medieval knights at a future date. Until then, goodbye. Castle Stories is a Newcastle Castle production. This week's host was David Silk. You can find out more about Castle Stories and about Newcastle Castle at newcastlecastle.co.uk.